Those are your words. Today is Sunday, February 12, 2017, and this is episode 183 of the Defensive Security Podcast. My name is Jerry Bell, and joining me tonight, as always, is Mr. Andrew Callett. Hello, Jerry. How are you, sir? I'm very good. How are you? I'm good. I, I, I know we haven't talked lately, uh, but somebody had to go bail Bob out of prison in Iran, so that, that's you true. weren't going to do it. Well, that's true. I've been very tied up protesting for the, the past three weeks. What, what currently are you protesting? Um, system D. Oh. Yes. How's that working out? It's not, not going well, not going my way so far, but, but I have, I have confidence that Mr. Trump may, uh, may, may produce an executive order. (laughs) (laughs) To, to ban system D. To ban system D, to, to reinstate, to make Unix great again. (laughs) Well. I don't know. You, you know, who was that big city that that made a big splash of shifting from Windows to to Linux for all their? Uh... Oh, I remember. I I, I remember the uh, story. I don't know who that was. Oh, I gotta find it. I gotta find it. Was it, it in Europe? Could, wasn't it? Um. Yeah, but they they're uh, they're planning to switch back. Oh. <laughs> That's uh, oh man, I gotta find it. Okay, as we talk, I'll find it. Okay. So uh, just a reminder before we uh, get into our stories, the thoughts and opinions we express on the show are ours and do not represent those of our employer. Who is the it? The city of Munich. Munich. Uh-huh. In, uh, obviously in Germany. Uh, <laughs> let's see. Um, politicians at Open Source Champion Munich will next week vote on whether to abandon Linux and return to Windows by 2021. Wow. Uh, if city leaders back their proposition, it will be a notable U-turn by the council, which spent years migrating 15,000 staff from Windows to Linux, a custom version of the Ubuntu desktop OS. Oh, sorry, Limux, Windows to Limux, L-I-M-U-X, a custom version of the Ubuntu desktop OS, and completed the move in 2013. Fascinating. <laughs> the, open, the use of the open source Thunderbird email client and LibreOffice suite across the council would be phased out in favor of using market standard products that offer the, quote, highest possible compatibility, end quote, with external and internal software. Sounds like they might be having some integration and compatibility issues. Yeah, I would imagine so. Well, there you go. That's Thank how you. you make, that's how you get rid of System D. Go to Windows 10. Well, tr- good point. <laughs> good point. <laughs> All right. So, So, hey, it's been a while. I know we've been busy. Sorry, everybody. We apologize. Uh, Some of it's my fault. Some of it was the Super Bowl's fault. Most of it's Jerry's fault. That's very true. (laughs) Very, very true. Uh, You know, sometimes our normal day jobs get in the way, unfortunately. We apologize. We're sorry. Yep. But we're back. Hopefully we'll be here, you know, weekly. I hope so. My my kids have to eat, so, you know, got to... Got to prioritize. Aren't they old enough to kick out? Sometimes it's tough. Well, the oldest one will be uh, joining the Marines soon, so, yeah. Good, good. Uh, Wait, are you serious about that? No. Okay. That was a joke. Unless he's listening, and then I'm not joking. Right. (laughs) Anyway. Clean your room or else. Anyway, time to get into stories. Right. Sorry. Carry on. (laughs) So our first story for today is uh, from Ars Technica. The title is, It Might Be Time to Stop Using Antivirus. Yes. So so this is kind of a retread of a story we covered, gosh, I don't know, a couple of weeks, maybe a couple of months ago. Um, starts off describing the, the talk that the Google researcher gave down at, I think it was KiwiCon or one of the, yep. one of the conferences down one there. Of those. Yep. Um, I guess they're upside down when they do the conference. No, no, no. They they uh, they go counterclockwise. Oh, that's what it is. Okay. When they talk, got it. Got it. The got slides it. run backwards too. Interesting. Fascinating. Um, anyway, so so this is another, I'd say another another run at antivirus. You know the the, I'd say the. 
the main critique of antivirus in this article is again that that it increases the surface area of uh, you know of a workstation or or a system running the antivirus engine and if you look at in history or especially recent history there's been a bunch of really critical vulnerabilities in uh, in a couple of notable <laughs> antivirus engines i think semantic was one of the the, the recent ones and you know, they, in the article, they point out that from the perspective of a software provider, and, you know, not antivirus, but just a, a general software provider, you kind of have a love-hate relationship with antivirus because a lot of times your your application, you know, it, it crashes, is unstable, or, or runs really slow, and it's the, you know, in some way, shape, or form, the fault of the antivirus. And so there's, you know, the, it, I think what they're trying to, to impress is that antivirus is kind of you know, evil and should just go. But, you know, and, and, they, and then they, at the end of the article, they talk about how, you know, we should really just be focusing on patching and, you know, patch your system, keep, keep all your applications up to date. And, you know, it sounds really good, but, but, but I think it, it negates kind of the reality we live in, right? <laughs> that like it or not, antivirus does stop a lot of, you know, by kind of by volume, Right does stop a lot of commodity well, malware. Our, we like to live in the pocket cases when it comes to IT security, right? We like to go for the sexy nation-state attack, O'Day, wow, look at this new awesome attack, and, and we, you know, we like to live in that space. But that's not the common attack that most people are seeing. And you know, shifting gears a little bit, these guys too are talking about how AV is impacting their ability to do their specific goal that they have. Right? They're 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 complaining how it's interfering with their particular piece of software, or that it has you know deep hooks, and I get that, but also you know, for them the ideal system, they wouldn't have to worry about any of that sort of. AV software hooking into the processes and monitoring what they're doing. Like, what well, guys, you know, kind of complaining about TLS interception with the AV tool? Well, well, here's the thing. As a as a consumer of that AV tool, I may very much want that TLS intercepted so that the AV tool can properly analyze the executable that's coming down or whatever the potential malware coming down through that TLS connection is. This is a problem we have in general is with TLS connections, we end up blinding our security tools. So tools are having to adapt to be able to look at this quote-unquote more secure channel. Well, the only thing TLS buys when it comes to anti-malware is encrypting the malware until it hits my machine. So... Yeah, I'm okay with that, but I can see how they're complaining that it disrupts, you know, that it's a bit of a kludge that, that the AV vendors are having to, you know, wedge into the TLS connection to be able to see what's going on. Is that the fault of the AV vendor? Is that the fault of the standards? Is that just a not well thought out methodology in general? I mean, there's a lot of give and take here. So I, I hear this a lot. I hear a lot of folks starting to talk about, you know, dump Symantec, dump McAfee, get rid of, you know, these AV vendors are not worth it. But uh, the reality in my mind is a couple things. Whether we like it or not, having AV is defendable best practice. And if you get popped in an enterprise and you're not running AV, no matter how right you are, you're not going to win that fight <laughs> in the court of public opinion. Oh, yeah, that's that is uh, for sure. You know, and there's a still a lot of compliance regulation that that dictates AV. Right. Um, you know, hell, I've gotten into debates with with QSAs in a PCI environment of whether certain brands of AV were good enough or not, which was kind of an interesting debate. But so I I get that AV is failing and missing a lot of stuff, but it's also catching a lot of stuff. And here's the other thing is that the, these AV vendors are not static. They are, in general, trying to improve their stuff all the time. Yeah. And for me, in a defense world, having a client out there on an endpoint that I can push an update to is a hell of a lot more useful than some other kludge that I might throw at it when I'm trying to clean something up or stop something. Yeah, that that's that's been I'll tell you other than other than stopping the commodity stuff that it can catch which has value you know it's it's 
debatable whether the value is worth the price you end up paying for it. But right, um, the, the, what you just described, I think, is a really significant value proposition that people need to keep in mind. That you know, this is this is one of the frontline things that you will be using when you have a, an outbreak in your environment. You know, and you know, for better or for worse. If you if you start to be you know uh, overrun by malware, you're going to be working with your AV vendor to to reverse engineer the samples you're getting and and, and pushing out DAT files as fast right. as you possibly can. And if you don't have antivirus, you you really don't have that option. Now, yeah, there's probably other things that that might work equally well or better, like you know whitelisting. I don't know, right? But that's that's you know, for for those who aren't there yet. You know, this is a this is way to yeah, go. Yeah, it's it's an ongoing debate, and I get it. Uh, I'm hoping that this debate will spurn better innovation in the AV marketplace, and the AV vendors will. I, I mean, I don't want to give them just carte blanche of that. You know, it's just a necessary evil. We just have to pay for it because it just is. That's not good for anybody either. Yeah. Did you happen to see the sign at at RSA this year? That, that it's all over there's Twitter. Only, there's only one sign at RSA. Well, no, one. <laughs> if you saw it, you know what I was talking about. It, uh, well, I've seen it, but was it, was it the carbon black yeah, one? Yeah, the carbon black yeah. one. So carbon black well, at, at, at the entrance, they have this giant sign that says, um, it says stop all attacks, right? In huge letters. Well, it's it's interesting because, uh, you know, carbon black is, is formally bit nine, which is a whitelisting company. Yeah, but that's not so, the product they're referring to. They're they're referring no, they've to re, they've renamed the company. No, no, I, I know. They're, they so they they also bought an antivirus engine, right? One of the next gen antivirus engines. Right, right. Because so they, Carbon Black as as a as a product was really more of a forensic right. and instrumentation tool. And I guess they're just now adding defensive capabilities. So yeah, is that they, what they were? Yeah. So they have they have uh, really kind of three main. And I don't mean to be giving them a, a you know an advertisement, right? But they have right. they have the 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 protect line, which is the old bit nine right. application whitelisting. They have um, they have the detect, which is the traditional carbon black agent, and then they have the defend, which is their new sexy next gen AV thing, which is what they're saying mm-hmm. stops all the attacks. So, or maybe I don't know. Maybe they're saying that you know you have to have all three. Like you know, what, what wasn't it semantic? Right. Wasn't it semantic that blamed one of their customers after a big? I can't remember who the customer was. Well, of course, you blame after after uh, after they got compromised. Maybe, was it Target? I don't remember who it was. It was it was a big a big breach, and and they uh, the, the customer went after Symantec saying, you know, how come you didn't detect this in Symantec? So, well, you you didn't have enough of our stuff installed. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it, there's one other point I want to make about AV, too, that it just reminded me of. So Endpoint is a complicated space to live in. Endpoint software is complicated because you don't really know what else is necessarily running on that system that could be interfering or causing issues. Whether we like it or not, the upside of the semantics, the McAfee's, uh, you know, the, 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 the entrenched AV players of the world is they've spent decade-plus living and playing on the endpoint and having to deal with all the support headaches of that. And in theory have hardened their, hopefully hardened their software to work in a very diverse environment of millions and millions of desktops. I'm not saying that there aren't good new approaches out there, but I am saying depending on your tolerance for bleeding edge risk in your environment, a lot of these new vendors have not had nearly that installed base to test against. That's a good point. You know, I said another way, are we, you know, are we going to have Tavis Ormandy, you know, finding all sorts of vulnerabilities and, you know, Sentinel one and carbon black and, and, and whatnot in, in future years. Could be. Yeah, it's a, it's a tough debate and, you know, I can, I can play both sides of it in my head. Yeah. But I think at the end of the day, if I'm on the defensive side, I think it's, for lack of a better term, job security to make sure I'm running good AV. Yep. Can't discount the the, the political aspect of the job. So Yeah. It sucks, but there it is. All right. So moving on to our next story. This one comes from Dark Reading, and the title is Seven Tips for Getting Your Security Budget Approved. 
You won't believe tip number nine. <laughs> That's true because there's only seven. Um, so first one is to focus on data protection and not specific threats. I thought that was, uh, you know, a good idea. In the, the idea is, you know, you shouldn't when you when you approach management for um, you know for, for funding, you shouldn't be talking about stopping China or or North Korea or Russia or Iran or you know the 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 drug cartels or or whatever, right? You should be talking about defending the you know the specific data that you have from all threats um, whether it's internal you know insider threat or or outsider um, and that actually applies too as we shift more stuff to the cloud absolutely yep. yeah um, next next recommendation is to be specific about staffing and and by that they mean you need to be clear why it, when you're asking for additional staffing why they're needed and I would say, just based on personal experience, that that's not enough. You need to be able to articulate what the alternatives are, right? So, if you if you say that you have this critical need for additional staffing, you know, you, you need to you need to be prepared to say, okay, I, you know, here here are some options. You know, option A is we you know, we bring on some additional talent. Option B is we divest some of the stuff we're currently doing and the impact of, of doing that is X, Y, and Z. And maybe you have a couple of different flavors of that because it's not a given that you're going to get it. And if it's super important, you may have to reprioritize. Yeah, it's a good point. I mean, one thing I've seen over and over again is that a lot of companies will buy shiny blinky boxes, but not necessarily have enough staff on hand to run them well and develop tool mastery to actually get the value out of them. Uh, so yeah, if you if you're overtasking your resources and you're not understanding um, what it's going to take, then you're really not getting the value out of that tool. Yeah, exactly, exactly. All right. So next item or next recommendation is to make problems relatable to business. And so you know, they they give an example about you know rather than talking about an alert of anomalous activity on the network, you should, you should describe that, you know, Joe normally accesses five to 10 records a day, but yesterday he, he accessed 50,000 records. So that's, that's kind of a, an odd uh, scenario that people can, can really relate to. I think that works to an extent, but you know, I'll be candid. There are some, some areas that are, are difficult to you know to convey in that kind of concise language, but it doesn't make sense that where wherever you can, you you want to make it very clear what the impact, the business impact of whatever you're trying to communicate is. And kind of back to what you know what I was mentioning before, you know, you want to be able to you know to say you know if, if we if we do X, it's going to cost us you know so much money. If we don't do it, you know here the, the amount of widgets we would have to make to cover the potential losses, you know, whatever. So, so, right. so that it's, it's really very, um, very tangible. And, and that's, I think how business leaders really often think about things. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, the other interesting challenge with doing baselining and looking for deviations is what if the bad guys are ordering your environment when you start baselining? Huh? Huh? <laughs> that's a good point. <laughs> not, not that you still shouldn't do it, but that always makes me chuckle. Next item was uh, know where your data is, and, and they they talk. Yeah, they, I they, do. China, it's in China. <laughs> it's all it's all encrypted. We, we can't get right. it. We can't open it. But I know where it's at. Um, they they say to think about data like it like money, you know, and and if you if you think about it in those terms, you know, you should you would want to make sure that access to the money was limited and that, that it was monitored by cameras. And, and I think that's true to an extent. The Where that really breaks down is that you can't really copy money, right? And so so the analogy works to an extent. You know, you, you, uh, you know if, if some money is missing from the vault, right? You can, do, you can do reconciliations. You really can't do that with data. You can't tell that you know that there's a thousand copies of of uh, your your customer file floating around right. your your company, so so that again that that kind of breaks down. It it is it is important for you to know where your data is, but um, you know I I'm not 
entirely well, this, sure. This is a perfect example of trying to manage access to your data, coming into conflict with people needing to get their jobs done. And so let's say you have a really controlled, you know, clean environment where people access data and need to work on it. And, and then, you know, maybe it's, I don't know, let's, let's say it's health patient records. Uh, and again, I, I'm not a hip expert, but I'm just saying in general. And then somebody needs to get something done and it's too difficult to do it in the, in the system provided. So they copy a bunch of stuff to a local box and they build an access database so they can make their boss happy to get something done. Well, now that data is floating around on their personal machine. And, you know, they're just trying to get work done. That's a great example of, of where InfoSec has got to be able to understand the user impact of what they're yep. putting in place for security. Because if it's too onerous, people are going to find a way around it. Correct. That's right. And th there's actually a, a, a something coming up in that vein, too. So they talk about um, considering benchmarks, but, but do so with a grain of salt is, is the next recommendation. So they, you know, they point out that most companies like to know where they're spending at relative to their competition, right? Because they don't want to spend more. And if you spend less and something bad happens, you know, that's that's not a good look. You know, but but they they go on to point out that that's it's not necessarily a great way to think about things because you know what, what if they're doing it wrong? What if your what if your competition is not doing it well? And um, you know, so, so that I think that's a that's a big challenge. And I also I, I do know that benchmarking is a huge thing in uh, you know in the IT department of of many companies. Um, they they did bring up the point about maybe a better way to benchmark is not against your, your competitors, but against like a pen test. You know, so, yeah. so if, you, if you have a pen test, you know, and, and you get completely compromised, you know that you need to do more. Well, I can, you know, the other thing I'd say about this is that I, I struggle with this spend quality amongst a given um, segment or vertical. Because you could have two companies spend the exact same money and be incredibly different in their effectiveness of that spend based on how they implement, the culture of the company, the quality of the talent they have on staff. There's, there's a lot more than just what you spend. Well, yeah, and how IT heavy they are. You know, what kind of right. – are they are they Linux or are they Windows or are, are they mainframe or are they uh -huh. SAP or are they Microsoft Dynamics? You know, th there's there's a huge variance. So – I I don't I don't really think that benchmarking is a great uh, you know great way to go about it, but it is very common. And I think again one of the reasons that you know just having talked to lawyers in the past, right? One of the one of the things that's always been impressed on me is you don't want to be the outlier, right? You know if you if you're if you're way higher, right? You're probably not going right. to keep your position, right? But if you're much lower and something bad happens you know the management of your company is going to feel like they're exposed because they're not they you know they're not investing to a commercially reasonable extent so yeah you want to be in the middle of that bell curve exactly yep <laughs> so um next one is to uh, uh do not sell based on fear you know so don't don't rely on fud and that kind of goes back to one of the, the items they they mentioned previously you know, focusing on, on protection rather than specific threats. The idea here is you, know, you, you should should not go in and say, oh, my God, you know, China is knocking on our door. Or, or you know, we're, uh, we're, we're only, uh, you know, days away from the next big crypto lacquer event. And one of the reasons they point out that you don't want to do this, and I hadn't, hadn't really thought about this in, in this particular light is, you know, it, it's it's likely that that bad scenario won't happen, and if you've run around, you know, banging the pots and pans and it doesn't happen, you kind of look dull, and you yeah, lose, you lose some credibility. Yeah, and on the flip side of that, it drives me a little crazy. Results of pen tests seem to work with executives; it's visceral to them. Now, you would Absolutely. you would hope that you could have the conversation and say, "Look, we understand this is a weakness. This is what's likely to happen." But when they see it actually happen from a pen test or an attack simulation, that can't argue. Unfortunately, it. yeah, right. it, it's interesting. It, it, I mean, I guess for those of us who've been in the industry, I sometimes look at pen test as a, well, yeah, 
we knew all that. He just you know, exercised what we already knew. But it seems to be a way to get executives to understand for good or ill. Well, I think it's I think it's a more you know, right or wrong, I think pen tests are a flavor of selling based on fear. Yeah. Right? But it's but it's very it's very tangible, right? So you're not you're not relying on you know, some hypothetical event. You can actually show them a report of what actually did happen. And so so I think from that perspective it's it maybe it's the best of both worlds. So the the last uh, the last recommendation they had was to emph- emphasize security as a business enabler, and you know this one had to make the list, right? Um, uh, of course. So you know the the idea is, you know you don't you don't want to come in and 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 sell your security program as you know as overhead. You want to sell it as as an enabler, you know, and and how if they invest if if, if they invest in your program, right that investment will do things like drive automation and and reduce cost and enable you know enable new IT programs or or what have you and and but but by the way that kind of says that you you have to be thinking about your IT security strategy in that light right you, you know uh-huh. it's it's not just you're not, you know you you have to be able to actually s- uh, say this with a straight face and have a plan uh, you know, to make it support you know the business and, and be a business enabler, and that's a that's not a, a simple thing. I've got one more on my side of this article. I don't I don't know if you you don't see the eighth tip. What was the What was the eighth tip? When of getting your security budget approved? Yeah. Wear pants in the meeting. Oh, damn it! That that's. That's been my problem all along. I was wondering because I did all these seven and and I never get my budget. Now it <laughs> makes so much sense. I we we were all trying to figure out a way to tell you. <laughs> all right, so moving on. This one, this next one is a. Uh, this is pretty cool. This this comes from the uh, Australia's uh, Australian Signals Directorate, and. I think we've talked about some of their stuff in the you know, years ago, um, but they they released an updated version of their uh, their top eight security controls. And I thought it was it was worth covering. So you know the ASD I think is kind of the equivalent of the US NSA type type organization, but you know, with cooler accents. But with much much cooler accents and kangaroos. And kangaroos. That's right. Yeah. I mean, the NSA can't, they don't have kangaroos, so, uh, yeah, well, anyway, so, uh, so, so, <laughs> so anyway, they, they maintain this list they call the Essential Eight, and, and, by the way, they, they've, they've actually had, um, what they called their top four in the past, right, and they, in, in time gone by, they claim that if you, uh, if you implemented their top four controls, uh, that addressed eighty-five percent of the compromises they saw, right? So just the just All the right. top four, you knocked out eighty-five percent of of the the breaches. So we'll, we'll go through them one at a time. That their their number one is, and this is one of the top four application whitelisting. Sure. Uh, Agreed. Number number two, also in top four, is patch your applications. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, number <clears throat> number three, uh, disable. Oh, go ahead. You know what I would say is, patch your applications quickly. Yes, I think is there. Yeah, yeah. That that's anyway. Go on. <laughs> You're right. Um, number three, disable untrusted Microsoft Office macros. Not a top four, oddly. Not a top four. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know. There it is. Uh-huh. Uh, number four, user application hardening. And by this, because it's not it's not necessarily obvious by the name, they mean things like uh, uninstall Flash Player, you know, disable Java or make it so Java's not running in your browser, that sort of stuff. Um, number five, which is a, a not a top four, restrict administrative privileges. Uh-huh. I I will tell you that I think. You know, obviously it's it's still in their top four. I think this one is 
is becoming less prominent. I mean, I'm, I'm seeing more malware that doesn't rely on administrative privileges. Right. So, or, or it's, you know, I've also seen a lot of uh, attack demos where uh, it doesn't matter if they have admin rights. They it gives, still gives them a foothold, and they can start looking at escalation possibilities from there. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. So, uh, number but, six. Hey, oh. it still, makes it tougher for them if they don't have admin right off the bat. Oh, I agree, and and I think, yeah. I think if you don't have admin rights too, you you, you may have a lower opportunity, right? So, people can't yeah, install go- software. Right, exactly. You're less likely to have silly mistakes being made by people who who just accidentally do something. Right. So, uh, so number six, patch operating systems, and again, patch quickly. Right. So, so the number two. This was uh, uh, the last top four. So this is the, the the number two was patch your applications, right? And this is patch your operating systems. And then the number seven is multi-factor authentication. So again. You know, defeating credential theft, and then yep. number eight is daily backup of important data. And boy, you know that number that number eight is becoming really important it's these true. days. So to to break it down, just because it was a lot, the top four are application whitelisting, patch applications, patch operating systems, and restrict admin privileges. Right. And then the 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 other four that are taken to the next level is disable untrusted Microsoft Office macros. User application hardening, multi-factor auth, and daily backup of important data. Yep. So, and by the way, they have a the the ASD has a bunch of really good stuff on their site. So, might want to take a look at the at the link here and poke around a little bit. So, moving yeah, on. Yeah, I mean these these all make sense to me. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, the, uh, fundamentally, all these are a factor of having enough automation in your system, the right tools and people. And the capability of doing this stuff, you know, disabling, uh, taking away admin rights, great, but that's going to put a load on your help desk. You know, application whitelisting, awesome, but you've got to have the right tools and know what you're doing with it. You can really shoot yourself in the foot. Right. So, these are all great ideas, but they're not resource free, and that is the key. Correct. But you know, I, I so so I I often hear. You know the the converse is that if you don't do this stuff, you would expect there to be a higher you know. So so if you don't have these things in place, presumably people are becoming infected at a higher at a higher rate, and so that that right. means you're incurring more you know more downtime on the part of of the employee who got infected. You know there's possibly forensic work and you know on and on and on. So it you know I, I think the argument is that. Potentially, even though these things are you know, pretty onerous and expensive, in the in the end, hopefully, it comes out. You, you come out ahead. Yeah, well, that's that's that whole. You know, you have to gather. If you're going to prove the ROI, it's interesting because you you almost have to have a control set of another company just like yours without the controls in place. Right. Right. Or, you know, go a year without them and then look at your costs and implement them and look at your costs. But, you know, of course, the attack thresholds and the and the environment is changing all the time, too. So it's it's one of those really difficult to articulate and prove the ROI. But we all intuitively think it's there. Right. Yep. Well, when you, when you get breached, it doesn't really matter. It's true. So. um so moving on to our next story, this one comes from CSO, and the, the title is "How to Secure Active Directory." And, ah, one of your favorite and topics. I am a you know for those who are not familiar, right? I'm a ardent critic of Active Directory, and and the reason is, by the way, that um, I've worked on a lot of uh, on a lot of breaches, and uh, you know, on kind of clean up on aisle six type. You know where, where it's it's you know they've been really bad, and I will tell you, with almost no exceptions, every single one of these the the, the really bad breaches I've seen involved Active Directory. You know, an Active Directory, by the way, isn't like it's not the entry. You know, it there's nothing intrinsically bad about Active Directory. It's not like people are breaking in through active directory it's it's that active directory is this thing that you know 
binds all of your devices together and any one of those devices getting compromised, which you know, the more devices you have, the more likely that is to happen, is now a potential risk. And and once that happens, by the way, once your active directory is compromised, there's really no option. You you have to you have to burn it to the ground and start over. Let me play devil's advocate for a moment. Okay. The upside of Active Directory is that I've got much better centralized configuration and control over my environment. Absolutely. So, so I can push out things like security settings and GPOs and, and, and manage passwords centrally and all these things that are best practices that I couldn't do if I didn't have that central point of automation and management and control. Can it be used against us? Absolutely. But net-net, used properly, I think it's a, it's a benefit over a drawback. Because, I, you know, I've seen environments where I've got a bunch of servers that are not connected to AD that are, are off not getting patched and not being managed and not in asset databases because they're not in AD. And I think that's even more dangerous. Yeah. Uh, the, the, I, I see what you're saying. The problem is, right. you know, again, it comes down to if it's properly managed, right? But, and, you know, so, so the... the the question is, how many times have we seen a breach not happen because AD helped? Well, you, you're, don't, you're yeah, seeing, you don't know that, right? It, you know, you're the first responder to a bunch of car accidents, right? So you're like, man, cars suck, <laughs> <laughs> or, or you know, yeah. As a, you know, these seatbelts caused all these contusions to their chest. Well, yeah, but no, I say I for, mean, I, it's, I, it's a fair point. I don't know. I, I just. I think it comes back to it's it's a tool that can be used for good or evil, depending on how we run it properly, right? If we yeah. run it properly. Yeah. So so let's go through these uh, these recommendations they have here. So the first one is to assume breach. And they point out that uh, according to some studies that they don't reference, between 2 and 7% of workstations in an organization have malware at any given point in time. That actually seems low to me, to be honest. Yeah, I suppose it depends on what your yeah, definition I guess it of malware is. Exactly. I was just going to say that. Yeah. Yep. So, so the point is, you know, you should assume that you have hostile endpoints, which I think would would help address a lot of my concern. But, you know, again, there's not a lot of context. They don't, you know, it's it's kind of a platitude, right? They don't, they it's don't, a slide share article. What do you want? They don't tell you how to do this. They don't tell you what what to, what behaviors to change, and that's that's part of the problem, right? Is that you know? So if you go and if you go in and you ask, uh, you know, a convention of Active Directory people, you know, how how would you do yeah. this? <laughs> that sounds fun. It does sound like a lot of fun. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, you know, how, how do you how do you do this? I, I wonder what you would get back as an answer. I mean, what do you what, think that'd be called? Maybe they could be like, you know, could it be like the Burning Man of Active Directory, but, the, you know, like the, the Burning Forest? <laughs> the Burning Forest. Yes. I don't know. I, you know. And, you know, at the end, at the end, we everybody burns their AD credentials. Their yeah. Active Directory, domain yeah. admins, go yeah. up and, I don't know. You're getting too much into this. It's Sunday night, man. I'm tired. <laughs> and Monday's coming at me like a freight train. Okay, carry on. So moving on, uh, only approve a few admins. It's the next one that seems pretty intuitive. I would I would actually carry that farther and say um you should you should not only limit it to a few admins, but you should limit it to certain scopes, right? You should create custom roles for you know for specific purposes so uh, and, and there's a lot of documentation on on and best practices on how to do that it's kind of inconvenient right if you you know if you're an admin and you need to log in with you know the the account that has the specific permission you need but at the same time you know that the the downside of not doing that is is pretty draconian like i just mentioned so um the next item is to separate admin versus user accounts. Uh, and I really hope this is not a surprise to anybody. You know, in, in the Active Directory context, you can take an account and, and grant it, you know, domain admin or, or, or other elevated privileges. Uh, 
people who have those accounts should not be using those accounts to, for instance, you know, log into their laptop and check their email. Oops. Or, you know, browse the internet, that sort of stuff. Uh, that's really dangerous. Don't do it. Really dangerous. Can't tell you how dangerous that is. Uh, whitelist admin workstations. So, so basically they're talking about designating some either virtual or physical workstations and saying these are the only workstations that are, are, are authorized to perform administrative functions on the domain. And you can enforce that with, uh, you know, with uh, through Active Directory and also through firewall settings. Um, uh, use strong authentication. I really wish people would drop the name strong authentication because there's a lot of disagreement about what that is. You know, I, I worked at a company who who called strong authentication, you know, any any authentication exchange that happened as long as it was encrypted, right? And and so, you know, so the problem is it's, you know, words matter. You know, if you're saying you got to use two-factor authentication or multi-factor authentication, say that. Yeah. They, they do in the details. They do. In, I know. I know. Uh, use a saw, which is the secure administrative workstation. I'm, you know, I guess this kind of relates back to the the uh, the one f- a, a little bit ago that the workstation that you are using to perform these administrative functions should be you know, purpose built, or you know, they sh- they should be for the purpose of performing administrative functions. They shouldn't be checking their email. They shouldn't be browsing the web. They this should be a separate thing for. For, for administering the domain. Uh, <clears throat> next, again, related block internet access for administrators so that, you know, those secure uh, administrative workstations should not have access to the internet. Hopefully the reason why is obvious because if that gets compromised and, you know, and it is um, you know, beaconing out, <laughs> you know, being controlled uh, well- remotely... Well, also so many drive-by download attacks and web browser attacks and all jazz. But again, this goes back to the problem we always have, which is this is making life less convenient for admins. I agree. And it slows down their job. And there's a trade-off in usability, efficiency, and security here. I, I'm, I'm absolutely there with you. And, and, then, and I'm not, you know, people I'm not disagreeing s- with the recommendation. I'm just saying that... There's a cost. Yeah, people will say, but Jerry, our people, you know, they have to go home at night, right? And so what do we do then? Do they have to take two laptops? I had, I, you know, at one point in my career, I had, I, 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 had the, I required some people to, to carry two laptops, right? And I had a complaint filed against me because I caused back problems for, for, for carrying multiple laptops, right? So... I get it. I get it, right? But that's the complaint. That's the complaint that sticks in your head. Of all the ones that have been filed against you, that's the one that you remember. Yes. (laughs) Wow. I'm just not talking about the other ones. All right. Carry on. So so anyway, um, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm sympathetic to the point, but again, the downside is, is horrific. And, and it's one of those deals where, you don't really understand how bad it is until you have to completely burn down your active directory and start okay. over. But let's take a step back. What is the likelihood of that actually happening for the average company? Is that a pocket case or is that a 10 percentile, 20 percentile, 30 percentile? Because know. if it's a one percentile issue, I don't know. I got bigger fish to fry. If it's a 20 percentile issue, now I start to care. I, do, because you're, do your you're, admins you're, browse the internet? You know, you're you're the fire department showing up after the house burned down. So, and you're you know, all houses must burn down. Well, there's a lot that aren't burning down. Yeah, I I, I, I hear you. I hear you. Well, and I'm I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just saying you might not be right. <laughs> so what are you saying? <laughs> um, I'm saying I don't know. I'm saying I'm I'm trying to to figure out. So so let's think about it a different way. How likely is it that someone, you know, the average employee, gets infected? Right. We already saw that it was, you know, two to two to five percent, and we we said that was, that seemed low. 
right? Depend, depending on what they, they get compromised with, sure. Is there anything unique about administrators? In, no, some, way, in some ways, I, to be... The, you, yeah, I mean, it's bad form. Don't get me wrong. To, to, but man, it happens a lot. I, I know. I know. I, well, and, and it depends on what we're talking about administrators, right? If we're talking about domain admin big boy administrators, yeah, okay. But a lot of folks have local admin rights on their box. Yeah, I'm talking. Well, I'm I'm mostly talking about domain admins, right? We're not talking yeah. about local admins. We're talking about people okay. who have administrative rights on the domain. Yeah, fair enough. And th- there shouldn't be a ton of these people either, by the way. Right. But right. you know, convenience trumps uh, security often. Uh, it it does. It does. Yeah, I agree. I agree. All right, next uh, next item is to safeguard against Active Directory attack tools. There's a bunch of them. You can find them on GitHub and, and other places. You should know how to detect them. My dog is howling next to me. That's awesome. Um, next is to restore from a clean slate. Yep, this is what I've been saying. If your Active Directory gets uh, compromised, or you, you know, one, any of your domain controllers gets compromised, Burn it down, start over. And by the way, they don't say it here. That includes the endpoints too. Sorry. It sucks. True. And and by the way, you know, people live in denial until they call Microsoft up. And they and then they hear they hear it from Microsoft. Uh, and, and, then, and you know, I bet very few companies actually do it. I think you're right. I think you're right. That's playing with fire too, by the way. There's there is a million and one ways to to establish persistence. Um, all right, next one is to build an isolated admin enclave. And I, you know, this is again going back to the same deal where, I, you know, accounts and systems that have administrative rights need to be segregated from you know the normal population. They should be on separate networks should be in separate groups they should you know should be completely uh, completely separate and isolated not commingled so that you don't have some of the problems we talked about true all right and then the last uh, the last story we have is from this is a uh, yet another story in the continuing saga that securosis has going on about uh the 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 disruption that cloud computing is having on IT and what the the impact is on uh, security. Let, let me just say, I think this is important. Absolutely. I, I think this really matters. And I think the more I think about this, the more I think they're right. And I think we all need to be paying attention to this um, because I, I do think it's going to change a lot of things. Oh, Absolutely. And so, so the the title is is uh, again it comes from the Securosis blog, and the title is Title Forces Software as a Service is the New Back Office. And and they point out that and and this by the way is I suspect it's becoming increasingly real for a lot of organizations. It no longer makes sense to run your own mail server, right? And it's becoming less likely that you run your own file server. And you probably don't run your own HR server or your own ticket server or your own ERP or CRM, you know, or or you know, other kinds of servers because that stuff is become so commodity that it's super difficult to justify the you know the the expense in every dimension uh, of of running it yourself versus pushing it to a provider. And this goes back to to business theory 101, which is don't do things that aren't your core competency. Exactly. Exactly. Your and core if, competency if, is not running Oracle, right? Right. Uh, I mean, unless it is. Unless like, it is, is right. Unless you're a focus, provider. Right. But, you know, Salesforce's core competency is running CRM. Exactly. Now, the flip side is customization and uniqueness and that sort of thing, but that's a different conversation. Right. Right, and so so the, the the point of this article is is talking about the kind of the sea change that is happening to IT security as a result of this uh, 
back office change from you know inside the data center to to the SAT to a uh, a collection of SaaS providers, and you know, and and this is a a very major shift. And I suspect most of us, whether we like it or not, are you know have actually seen this. I mean, who, I, almost all of us outsource at least one of these things, right? And and it's gonna you know it's not it's not gonna come back, right? <laughs> these things are not coming back to your data center. Yeah, uh, it, that that will become the rare exception in a, in a weird company 20 years from now. Yes. Yes. So, so anyway, they, the, the point of this is talking about uh, some of the, the changes we can expect. And one of the, one of the interesting points is, you know, that they're, they're talking about how um, this, this shift will hopefully be a net gain for security. Right. And, and there's, they, they outlined a couple of reasons. And one is, that again, as we talked about, you know, you're you're outsourcing the these back office systems to an organization whose core competency is to run that thing, right? And, and so, you know, they have the economy of scale, and 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 by the way, they they we'll get to this in a minute, right? But they have the economy of scale, and they can do it better than you. It's just it's just the way it is. Now, flip side, Dyn. Correct. DDoSed, took down the entire organization, took down a ton of companies at once. Centralized risk. Absolutely. But I, even that being said, don't think it's going to stop this. Absolutely. I, I, I will tell you a lot that, that um, I believe, and I, I can't speak authoritatively on this, but I believe that a lot of uh, regulators are worrying about the, the increased concentration risk. You know, of of organizations moving in this direction, and by the way, that kind of makes sense, right? Because that dying did happen, right? I mean that mm-hmm. that is that is a real thing. But you know, I go back. I go back to my argument we were having about AD. Is that a one percentile risk? Is it a five percentile risk? Is it a twenty percentile risk? Yeah, and I, I think we don't know yet. Well, and, and so so this is this is the one of the um, the big points they bring up that we. You know, we don't really have a good way to perform a risk assessment on these providers, right? There, there isn't, there isn't a great way to go and assess the 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 quality of a provider. They they kind of give a rule of thumb to say, you know, the larger providers tend to have a lot more to lose, and so probably will do a little better, bit better of a job. Whereas the smaller providers tend to be more interested in gathering market share and adding features and so therefore maybe skimping on on security in favor of growth so you know don't know that's that's their that's their words not my words <laughs> no it's it's, it's true uh, you know jumping ahead a little bit in the article though what what i'm seeing is our data is moving back be, from our data centers, from back behind our firewalls and our IDSs and IPSs and and DLP systems and all this stuff we've wrapped around our data. It's moving out to cloud providers. Yes. And and changing the entire concept of how we do security as a result. Correct. And, you know, as at the same time, we're shifting to consuming and working with that data on tablets and phones, and and what our endpoints look like are changing rapidly. Right. So, again, now the software that we're used to loading, we can't load. <laughs> so everything, not everything, but a good chunk of what we have learned to do to defend our data is no longer relevant in this new world. Right. At least not in the in the in the frame of context in the mode they are today. The concepts may be, but the implementation is going to be vastly different. Yeah, and there's there's some things that just don't translate either, and so so they, for instance, they talk about how, and I think this came up in one of the the previous stories we talked about, mm-hmm. that you know the the traditional IT security implements your DLP intrusion prevention, you know even firewalls they just like fundamentally don't they don't comport with the SaaS model, because you know your as you mentioned you know. All this stuff is sprinkled across a bunch of different providers 
there's no commonality between them all. They don't, there isn't any single concentration point. Yes, as they point out in a, in a bunch of different places in this article, yes, you could absolutely have all of your, you know, your users funnel back, you know, VPN back into your office and then you, you know, then you inspect their traffic and then you let it go. But, you know, <laughs> they're, they're, one of the, the quotes here was, you know, good luck with the help desk tickets on that one. And, <laughs> you know, and probably, probably true. Um, but you know, it, it kind of again jumping ahead, they you know they they really point out that where the the ultimate end state of all of this stuff is we're going to end up with a zero trust network model. Yeah, where where everything, you know, everything is its own little atomic container. Your applications are atomic containers sitting out on the, directly on the internet. Your workstations, you know, the, the people who come to your office, basically plug in to the you know to the wall, get on the Wi-Fi, and they're on the internet. Like there is no local infrastructure. I mean, maybe there's a DHCP server or something, right? But but there's no local infrastructure there. It's all in the cloud, or you know, it's all sassified. It's it's gonna be, it's an area that I really need to start spending more time studying and learning. Because I see it coming. Yeah, and I I think this is it is definitely coming down the line. It's it's happening incrementally. I think we can all see that it's happening in our organizations to some extent or other. But you know, even over time, it's 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 an it's it's a train or a tide, however you want to think about it. You're not going to stop it, right? This is right. this is a business transformation that is happening. It's economic. It's it's driven by economics. We can like it or not, but it doesn't really matter. <laughs> we're, if, we, if we're if we're not on the bus, we're we're going to be left behind. So, um, anyway, that I think that's why I wanted to to really hammer on this. That you know, here here is our opportunity to get ahead of of things. So, um, anyway, but you know, again, not not all is bad, right? It's, not everything is is bad about this they, they point out no that, it's it, it could be great there yes could, it, it could take a lot of load off us in certain areas um but you can't just throw a firewall in front of a cloud provider <laughs> right 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 and that's we're gonna have to shift our thinking we're gonna have to learn new methodologies and new techniques while still staying current on our current methodologies yeah that's or, right or we're not gonna add value correct and and our companies are gonna go down this path whether we want them to or not we have to keep them safe they're gonna go there. We've got to keep them safe. Yeah. So, so you know, kind of going back to that previous article about how to, you know, how do you be a business enabler? Well, you know, here here's an opportunity, I suppose. And and the tough part is, there's a lot of folks out there, you know, pimping their solution to these issues, and I don't know who's good and who isn't right now. Well, you know, they they talk about they talk a little bit about this that you know they're they're kind of the the de facto thing right now or the cloud access security brokers yeah and it's an emerging thing although you know it is they've been around for a while right the the problem is that there's not a there's not a big harmonization between the capabilities of those and the capabilities in particular of the SaaS providers and they they really point out that you know if you are if you are going down the road of wanting to use something like a cloud access a casb you need to make sure that your providers support that. You know they have the the right APIs exposed that they they can support it and and whatnot. So that you know, that's really again some from a security perspective, these are the kinds of things where we can add value. You know we need to understand the big picture and how these things fit together and and you know how do we determine if one you know, provider is better than another. The, and so these are the I think these are the things that are coming on us to learn about as we're making this transition. So, great article. I, I I don't think this is the last in the series. We'll we'll keep talking about them as they come up. But uh, you know, all I can say is, if you're not already in the boat on this, you you really need to start paying attention. I would agree. And it's rare that we're that authoritative, but I think this is pretty clear what's coming. Yeah. Anyway, so. That is it for tonight. Hopefully we'll be back next week. 
can't promise it, but damn it, I'm going to try. <laughs> um, again, thank you to all of our Patreon donors. Can't, yes. can't say thank, thank you, you enough. Uh, if you want to find links to the stories we talked about today, go to our website at www.defensivesecurity.org. If you want to follow the show on Twitter, it's at DefensiveSec. You can follow Mr. Callet and his uh, fine antics on Twitter at Lurg. That's L-E-R-G, for those of you who don't know. And uh, me on Malicious Link. And By the way, Jerry has over 10,000 followers, and I have over 3,000. And he reminds me of this on a daily basis. I'm not, I'm not begging for followers here. I'm just saying it hurts. That's true. I taunt him. Like, every couple hours, I'll, I'll send him a text message. I, I'm sure this has nothing to do with the fact that he posts far more interesting things than I do, but it still hurts. <laughs> anyway, thanks a lot, everyone, and we will talk again soon. Have a great weekend, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. We should do a show because, you know. I know. Dinner. You haven't eaten dinner. I get it. It's Jesus late on the Sunday. Christ. How many times have we done this? Well, you have to understand that my Matlock airs at a different time than your Matlock. <laughs>